Welcome to the Dynasty Movement Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Dynasty Discord for a link to join the movement and our Discord server. My name is Nick Wilford and I'll be your host this evening. You can find me on Twitter at electronics underscore FF or on our Discord at electronics. Let's hop in. Uh, good to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, absolutely. We're ready to get rolling. Do you want to just go ahead and kind of talk about who you are, what you enjoy you enjoy doing in the industry, and just kind of give our guests like an overview? Sure, happy to. Um, well, my name's Paul Charchian. I've uh, been working in the fantasy industry since 1993. Uh, started a company called Fanball uh, in 93. That was a magazine then, uh, and eventually became Fanball.com. Sold that in 2005 and started League Safe. Um, that's that was the uh, that's the payment online payment service for fantasy leagues, and um, sold that in 2016 and now have started Guillotine League. So this is my third company. Uh, been the president of the I was the president of the Fantasy Sports Trade Association for 11 years, and uh, worked uh, worked on all kinds of uh, different initiatives for the betterment of the industry, and. Um, Let's see what else. I've been uh, I've been the host of Fantasy Football Weekly uh, radio show and podcast for 26 years. Uh, it'll be 27 in August, um, which means I'm old. So uh, yeah, all uh, all of that. That's the that is the short bio right there. I've uh, relative to dynasty leagues. I've been in my dynasty league for my main one uh, 20. Call it 20 years. I was gonna say trying to put a uh, put trying to put trying to sum up everything that you do in the industry in a nice little neat graphic that we can tweet out was uh, it was a little interesting. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, there there is uh, there is a uh, it's yeah well it's just I'm old so I've been doing this a long time that's all Nick. <laughs> well, I do have to say we had uh, we had quite a few users that. There was quite a bit, there was an outpouring of support for a lot of the different things that you do. Specifically, we had, you know, we had a couple of, uh, not even questions, just thank you for uh, League Safe, uh, League Safe support, uh-huh. and all of that. So awesome. That's definitely, uh, that's... that's definitely a service that we def- we uh, recommend here as well. Yeah, I love it. And especially, um, you know, anytime you're playing in a league where you don't know everybody, um, it's just, you know, why, you know, why put, why put the funds at risk? Just you know, take it off the table, and that's um, that's really what's why we started LeagueSafe was just as a consumer protection service to um, to make sure that you're not handing your your entry fee to some guy you don't know and just hoping he pays at the end of the year. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I I moved all of the leagues that I commission over to LeagueSafe, even just to to Thank make you. sure that that my uh, you know, you just want to make sure your users have a have they have trust in you as the commissioner, and I know that a lot of our other users uh, use it as well, but um our Thank first you. question that we wanted to start off with tonight um is kind of more of a little bit of a softball but it's one that we enjoy asking all of our uh guests as they walk as they come in and meet us for the first time um what is your earliest fantasy football memory and yours is going to be a little a little farther back than most of our guests but i'm going to really enjoy hearing it. <laughs> all right so okay first we've established i'm old so there's that so my 
a guy in my seventh grade cafeteria was explaining the concept to me and said, okay, so now that you get it, we're going to hold a draft. And, you know, I didn't know anything about it, right? So, you know, I had never heard of it before. And so um, we drafted off the top of our head in seventh grade, way before there was like a cheat sheet or anything published before uh, before this. And my, my first pick was rookie quarterback, because, you know, who knew um, not to take rookie quarterbacks with your first pick back then when you did never even, when you just heard about fantasy football five minutes ago. Uh, rookie first uh, rookie uh, uh, Phil Sims. Oh wow, that was a uh, yeah. I feel like that ended up working out quite well. Um, no, it did not because rookie quarterback stunk back then, especially, and he was a terrible uh, he was a terrible pick as my first overall pick. But he was top of mind because uh, you know because he was a rookie and he was a highly touted rookie, and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So yeah, so that was it. That's um, that started it. But then I didn't end up playing again for like eight years after that or something like that. I started playing in, uh, started playing in, uh, I think my freshman or sophomore year of college. Sure. Sure. I, I, I guess follow up to, uh, I was thinking about Phil Sims as a, uh, as a dynasty, but as a dynasty asset, but as a redraft asset, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was a dynasty asset. It worked out pretty well, but it wasn't dynasty. So, and nobody even knew what dynasty meant back then. So yes, you're right. Was there even dynasty leagues that far back? No offense. Oh God, no. Oh, hell no. Absolutely not. Um, there was barely even fantasy football at that point. I mean, this was, you know, we think um, when I started Fanball in 1993, we think there was about 1 million people playing in America. Today, there's over 50 million playing. So it was like 1% or 2%. And that was 93. So to go back to Phil Sims' rookie years, like 1980. So there was nobody playing back then. That would have been, would that have still been a touchdown only league? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, and I don't even remember if the guy, you know, we had a, we had a, we had a commissioner. I don't remember for sure if he even like scored it every week. And, you know, I don't, you know, it, the details are a little fuzzy. It was a long time ago. Sure. So how many leagues are you in charge? Um, so I, you know, like at most people in the industry, you got to limit yourself, you know, at some point you got to go, okay, I can only take so many. So I was in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, I was in 10 leagues, not counting best balls last year. Um, two are dynasty. Well, one's dynasty, two are empire leagues. Well, we're going to get to, we definitely are going to get to the empire questions in a little while. I have a few of them for I'm you good. Uh, put together. So it's definitely empire. Uh, I'm telling you, empire is the way to play dynasty fantasy football. Yep. I have uh, one of my, my home league is empire. And uh, nice. we definitely were having some conversations in the server about it. Cause I think I'm one of the, I might be one of the few in here that has an empire league. Um, let's see. Do you have any, uh, yeah, we gotta, yeah, we gotta get that changed by the way. Yes. Yes. I highly yeah. recommend it. Uh, what, uh, do you, do you have any recommendations for dealing with, uh, or I shouldn't say dealing with, but for managing a large number of leagues, especially redraft, but dynasty as well. Yeah. I mean, this is, it sounds bad for me. Uh, to just to manage it, I've got reoccurring weekly calendar events that pop up as reminders for my deadlines. So, you know, I have to do this on Wednesday. I have to do this on Thursday. I have to do this on Friday so that I can remember to hit all of my all of my various deadlines across all of my leagues. And the, the downside of all these leagues to me is 
I just, I can't be as active in all of these leagues as I want to Nick. And I can't like, you know, be researching the best trade possible in every league and, you know, really trying to, you know, I can't, I can't just can't apt to optimize my time for one league like I would like to. And so it's a, you know, it's, it's not ideal. I mean, I honestly think the best thing is like two and three leagues where you can really pay attention to those leagues and really just pour all of your efforts into, into, a, into two or three leagues. And, but that said, don't listen to me because I'm in eight or nine or whatever. Yeah, I mean, can confirm we have a uh, we have a large. There's a few users here with a large number of leagues, and I always, uh, I, I always, it's always interesting to me listening to them talk about what that means for hitting all the waivers and things like that, or trying to formulate trade processes. Yeah, I, I can confirm you're actually the first guest that we've had on that asked for a calendar invite, but I definitely appreciated it because I knew that you'd be here because of it. That's right. <laughs> my calendar runs my life, man. It's uh, it's sad, but that's how it works. I don't blame you. That's my calendar runs my work life as well. Um, so question. This is another question from uh one of our resident DLFers, uh, Solar. He was um wanted you to talk maybe a little bit about considering you have a lot of experience in this space. Um, what do you think that like fantasy football writers or creators spend too much time doing? Uh, I think for creators, people that are, um, and especially people looking to get into, um, into content creation and people that are early into it, I think they sweat popular opinion, um, ADP expert opinions way, way too much. Um, and I see this all the time where guys are, you know, they're, they're at fantasy pros trying to figure out ADPs and figure out how, um, how they are going to fit into that and get intimidated by expert opinion and, Man, I I just think you just go be you and go be willing to be wrong and vociferously wrong and just live with the consequences. And sometimes you're going to be right for for going against the grain. And I think just a lot of guys aren't willing to do that. So I like I like I always like to find young content creators that are willing to put their ass on the line, explain why, have good reasons for why they're going against the grain and and then, you know, tell me all about it and then live with the consequences. Yeah, I think that makes sense. There's a, uh, uh, there's a, a fallacy. I think it's called fallacy of the crowd, where uh, mm-hmm. too averaged out of an opinion ends up not being accurate in any direction. But yeah, yeah. and 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 you know, and also you know, just if you're trying to differentiate yourself from the crowd, how do you do that when you're just basically republishing ADP? Yeah, I form. think that. Yeah, I think that. That's actually really good advice because I definitely have had that complaint with uh, some of the smaller podcasts that we've listened to, or you know, some of the other uh, analysts. Not to, I'm not trying to call anyone out, but like, if you're oh, just no. if you're just recycling information, what, yeah, what makes you stand out? I think that's, yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. I haven't really thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right. No, I mean, that, I think that's one of the things. Um, and then when I talk to young content content creators, um, I you know, one of the other things that we talk about a lot is. At the end of the day, you just gotta you gotta stick with it, which is really hard. Um, but you do. Uh, you just, you know, you you've got longevity counts for so much, and the fact that you show up every week and do what you say you're gonna do, your podcast or write your article or whatever, um, just means just means a ton. And um, yeah, we've got a crew of uh, you know, at guillotine leagues. We do weekly rankings uh, every week, and I've got a crew of young guys and gals uh, that help me write that and. Um, uh, every week and I love working with them. And, and that's the kind of, that's, I always encourage them to go against the grain and rationalize their decisions and, 
and we have, uh, yeah. So we're, I'm constantly working with uh, young, talented people, which is one of the pleasures of being in the in the industry for a long time. Yeah, that's awesome. Giving you know having a chance to be able to offer out those positions as well. Um, speaking yeah, of being in the sure. industry for a long time, um, we had a couple questions basically like that you've seen as the industry evolved, you've seen it change multiple times. Uh, what do you think has been has made the largest impact in how we play the game? Well, for sure, the internet. I mean, it's not it's not even close. Um, you know, life before and after the internet is was night and day different, and um, internet acceptance and, and popularization just completely changed the delta of fantasy sports. And if we were still, you know, if for whatever reason the internet weren't around right now, and we were to roll back the clock to 1995, 96, whatever, and it you know, there would be, I don't know, 10% as many people playing. If we were hand entering stats on spreadsheets and faxing and, you know, <laughs> all the, all the stuff we were doing in the old days, you know, this, here's a, a true old timer story for you, Nick. We used to, um, um, I used to make everybody come to the draft with 16 self-addressed stamped envelopes so that I could mail them all the weekly moves, the standings, um, our little newsletter every single week. And you had to make your lineup decisions on Thursday so I could mail everything on Friday so you could get it on Saturday and have it for Sunday in front of you so you knew who your opponent had and you knew what all the rosters looked like. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah. So, you know, it was you – know, if you can imagine having to just permanently set your lineup on Thursday, yeah, that stunk. Yeah, I can't imagine uh, having to. I can't. I can't imagine now thinking about how like injuries work. Or could you imagine having to deal with COVID without the internet? That would be crazy. Oh, I know. Imagine that. Yeah. But I do. So many things. Yeah. So many things changed. It's just you know the convenience of having the sites that run all the software, the ability to just like find strangers on the internet and play with them. And so you don't have to know 11 people who want to play the weird oddball way you want to play. It's just so many great things about, uh, about what the internet has done for fantasy sports. It's just, yeah, can't, you know, so different how this industry has changed. Absolutely. Um, the next kind of a follow-up on that. Um, what do you think are the next, the upcoming big changes or like what do you see as um, different, what's going to differentiate the game coming up? Um, I, I'm excited for the prospect of us getting more and better data stat feeds so that we can continue to refine the way we play to better reflect what happens on the field. I'll give you an example, Nick. Um, Kirk Cousins throws a screen pass to Dalvin Cook at his own 20-yard line. Dalvin Cook breaks 11 tackles on his way to an 80-yard touchdown run, and Kirk Cousins gets 80 yards of passing. And I, I look forward to the day when we have better and differentiated box scores. I mean, really the box score services and stats that we get now as like our real-time data feeds, it's like the box scores our, our grandparents were reading in the newspaper in the 50s and 60s. And I'd love to get more advanced and better play-by-play -play metrics. There's all kinds of analytics after the fact. I just, I want all, all that stuff to be coming in the moment. We've got all the technology to do it. It's just nobody's nobody's pushing that data to service providers yet. Yeah, NFL next gen stats are nice, but it would be nice to have even more of it. I, 
I totally agree with it. It would be what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And next gen stat next gen stats are great. And they're but they're not even a they're generally not even available for the games for like three days after they happen. Until three days after they happen. Yeah, absolutely. You know, where they've had a chance to, you know, grind up all the data and, you know, go through review everything. I want it all. I want it all instantly. You know, we're chipping all the players anyway. They should have all that data. Yep. Yeah. Speaking of the Adam Steelers fan in the chat talking about GPS and things like RFID and the ball as well, so that you know when, you yeah. know, was it actually a catch? Was it out of bounds? All of that stuff. Yeah. No, I'm right. Why should that, why should that ever, why should that even be subjective? Right. Well, we were going to get the old time, yeah. the, the questions of like, this is how it is, how it's been in my day. This is how it always has been. It's fine. All of that good stuff, but yeah, gross. Right. The game's got it. Game's got to evolve. Right. Uh, all right. So, uh, moving on to a little bit more specifics, um, what would you say that your edge is in the leagues that you play in? Well, for me, because I am generating player stats or player predictions every single week across all of the all of them, and prepping for my uh, my Saturday morning radio show in which we break down every single player, you know what we think every fan, every notable player is going to do. Uh, myself and my co-host uh, Scott Fish. Uh, Brian Johnson and Matt Harrison, um, you know, we, you know, I'm in a really good position to have a, have a sense of what's going to happen on Sunday because I've just poured so much time and effort into it. And, you know, it's just, it's almost not fair because that's what I'm spending most of my week doing. And most people are working a real job. And so, you know, in that sense, it's, it's, it, it, it almost feels like I'm cheating. I mean, it makes sense though. It's, it's your real job charge. <laughs> well, it is, but um, it is my real job. I, you could do worse. I would certainly enjoy being in your position. Uh, speaking of fantasy football weekly, um, you know, we have uh, probably have a few listeners here. I know I've, I've been listening for quite a while, um, and I know that uh, you think a lot about matchups when making your start decisions. Can you talk about a little bit about why that makes up such a heavy part of your process? Why matchups do? Yeah. Um, so we've got a two-hour show, this show, Fantasy Football Weekly, two hours long. For us to cover what is typically you know, 13 games, 14 games, 15 games, 16 games in that two hours, it takes two hours. And you know, we want to tell you we grade every player on an A, B, or C grade or bench, so four different ways to bet to grade a player. But you got to explain why and you know, how you think the game flow is going to go and you know, what, you know, why do you like this guy? Why do you not like this guy? It takes two hours to get through the 120 players that will break down over a show. And I just think that's the most, the, at the end of the day, that's the most value I can bring on a Saturday morning is telling you what I think is going to happen on Sunday to help you set your lineup. So, um, you know, there's tons of value in all kinds of other stuff, who to pick up on the waiver wire and all kinds of things, trade advice, I mean, a million different things, but I've got user, I've got somebody's attention for two hours on Saturday morning. I think, explaining what I think is going to happen the next day is this is the best thing I can do with those two hours. That makes sense. Uh, are we ever going to get pluses and minuses? <laughs> <laughs> Not if I have my way, maybe somebody <laughs> will earn it, Nick. Let's hope so. <laughs> that would be awesome. Uh, let's see here. So uh, who are you? Do you currently have as your biggest uh, buy low target at each position right now in dynasty leagues? All right. So let's talk about that. Um, now, <clears throat> for dynasty 
buy low can mean a lot of different things, right? I mean, we could use Lamar Jackson as a buy low right now and just say, well, okay, I think he's going to, you know, I think he's going to go back to being the highest scoring quarterback, but I'm going to try to bring a little more value than that. I think and go a little work a little bit harder on it. I think Matthew Stafford is a fantastic buy low, even in dynasty people act like he's 103. He's 33. He's got like five good years left in him. And I think he's going to be re-energized playing for a real organization, the best coaching he's ever had by a mile, a fantastic offensive talent. He's got a great running back to hand off to and throw to. He's got two and a half really competent receivers. I think Matthew Stafford, who's I, who I think people are just not dropping, but I think have almost no interest in, remains a guy that you can get for super cheap. This is, I mean, we're talking buy low. And I think he has top 10 quarterback upside left in that arm for this year. And by the way, I think the Rams are a Super Bowl contender this year. Who's your? What do you uh, think of that, Nick? Who's your half of that receiver? Well, I'm assuming that we're, that they're going to end up in a spot where they're going to get say Van Jefferson is going to going to make, and I, I love one of my favorite hedges is second is second year players that didn't necessarily wow you in, in year one, uh, but you can then get, go get dirt cheap. And I think that's an example of a player that you may be able to get dirt cheap there, Van Jefferson. Um, I don't, I'm not a Deshaun Jackson guy for obvious reasons. I mean, anybody who's held him for the last five years knows why, but you know, Van Jefferson, I think, walks into a spot where he's going to get a lot of playing time with uh, with Josh Reynolds out, and here it's year two, and he was a second round talent. So, you know, I I think I think he's a really intriguing. He's a, he's a great buy low candidate. He's not going to be the guy I'm going to talk about when we get to receivers. But I think he's a really fascinating buy low candidate too. Yeah. I, what I, do you think? What do you think, Nick? I absolutely like Matthew Stafford. I think that um, I spend a lot of time thinking about um, his tier of quarterbacks, especially for like your second quarterback in a super flex. I think if you could find a way to snag either like him or Matt Ryan or um, Mm -hmm. Kirk Cousins, those are the kind of guys that I enjoy having as my QB too. It's a, it's a safe level of uh, production. They've seen, I think it's uh, one of the guys I like to listen to Chad Parsons talks about how like they've seen everything that the NFL has to throw at them and then some and are still there. Like that's a good thing. That extra seasoning is a good thing. So I, oh, for sure. I absolutely like that call. Let's talk about Kirk Cousins for just a second. I'm in Minnesota. Let's talk about Kirk Cousins um, from a dynasty standpoint, future years. This is a make or break season for Mike Zimmer. And there's a very good chance that he doesn't, he needs to win two playoff games to keep his job. So let's assume there's at least a coin flips chance that he's gone. Whoever comes in next is not going to run the ball the most times in the NFL every single year. So if there's there's some real 2022 upside for Kirk Cousins. He's signed through 2022. And it could be that, you know, the reason he is a middling fantasy producer is way less about talent and way more about the fact that he doesn't get to throw the ball enough. It just isn't the volume for Cousins. So, um, you know, looking ahead, Kirk Cousins could be sitting on a, a nice 2022 that people, I think, haven't really thought about here in 2021. Yeah, and I mean, looking forward, you see a lot of nice uh, year three breakouts for young receivers where, you know, you're talking about the Calvin Ridleys, the Chris Godwins, all of those kinds of breakouts happen in year three. 2022 would line up with a year three for uh, uh, Justin Jefferson as well. Well, well I kind of think he already had his breakout. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he to was be rookie. Fair. 
runner-up rookie of the year. And yeah, I think, uh, but he, does he have room to get better? He does. In my redraft rankings, he's like receiver 12, Justin Jefferson. I think, I think he gets, a, if he gets, if he does what almost every good receiver does between year one and year two, Justin Jefferson makes a, makes a sizable jump to being, you know, I don't know where he finished last year, maybe wide receiver 20, you know, he could easily be wide receiver 12 this year. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, a lot of users here think very highly of my, myself included. I have oh, I Jefferson bet. as my dynasty wide receiver one, to be honest. Mm. Who's your, uh, well, yeah. Yeah. So moving on to running backs, do you have a, uh, do you have a dynasty by low at the running back position for us? Yeah. Um, you know, and I think we're going to, the found money James Robinson owners are going to go apoplectic, but I think James, I think James Robinson isn't very good. And I think there's, I think the team knew it. And that's part of why they spent a first round pick on his replacement. He is a marginal talent who was, uh, who, who I think found a little bit of lightning in a bottle in the bottle and then just really survived in no small part because he got like every damn carry that team had, which is, you know, absurd credit him for like not breaking down in week 12. And I'm not, saying James Robinson doesn't belong in the NFL. Travis Etienne's special back. And the fact that there's even, even anybody fretting about how this is going to work out long-term to me is nuts. And I think this is going to be your, this summer will be your last chance to get in on a first round talent running back who is, we're never going to, you know, I just don't think five years from now, we're going to even remember who James Robinson is. And I, I, I think this is a rare opportunity to get a first round running back at a heavy discount. That doesn't normally happen. Usually in dynasty, your first round running backs are freaking gold. And you know, it's, it's all been impossible to get one from anybody and you'll do anything to get one. And this is a case where people don't, people are just, they're soured on him because he might be a wide receiver. He's stuck in a timeshare with James Robbins. He's just, he's so much better. I'm not, I am not giving it any thought. Oh, I love that call. Um, I think the only the only pushback I'd give you is that people will remember James Robinson, but they'll just be referencing him whenever we have these, you know, these breakouts, and people are gonna say, "Remember James Robinson? This happens. People lose their job." Like we, uh, yeah, we've had this conversation a few times in the server, and you know, I mean, we'll go through and talk about like Alfred Morris or Philip Lindsay, like these guys come up and, you know, expecting them to have these long, long, illustrious careers ends up being fool's gold until they can prove it a couple seasons. It's just not worth buying into, in my opinion. I agree. Uh, the, the guy I almost used uh, for this was Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who it feels like every way to not produce fantasy points he managed to do last year. And, man, it, it, just, it just feels like he can't be so fantasy inept as he was last year. And we talked uh, earlier about, I love, I love year two guys who underperformed Clyde Edwards, Alaire is still the lead running back on the best offense in the NFL. And I can't imagine everything going so sour for him as they did last year between, you know, him failing at the goal line, all those times at the beginning of the year, week one, and then basically never getting carries at the goal line again after that. And then the injuries at the end of the year. And it's all the things that went wrong for him. I just can't imagine it all goes wrong again. And I think it'd be a better back in year two. So he'd be my, he's my runner up by low dynasty guy. Yeah. I like that call as well. Uh, 21 year old running backs picked in the first round who put up an RB two season or better their first year are practically gold. The list is like Elliot Saquon, Todd Gurley. And like, Mm. I think Josh Jacobs, like it's, 
it's it's a wonderful list to be on, and it definitely speaks well to his future. I think I'm right there with you that I think people are sleeping on that. Yeah, I'm. He's really interesting to me. Um, so yeah, those are my those are my two favorites. I've got a couple other guys at running back, but those are my two favorite running backs for buy low targets. I right, people on the server are gonna probably tired of hearing my opinion, but if you're looking to hear one from me, Charge as well, I'm gonna throw in AJ Dillon. As yeah, please, no, do it. Yeah. So yeah. sorry. Who? Yeah. Yeah. Go um, ahead. I I still am buying AJ Dillon shares. I I think that as a yep. prospect, he was, one, he was one of my other guys. Yes. Yep. Go ahead. As a prospect, he like he graded out in my model up with the top five uh, backs. He uh, it's just it's, with second round capital, a fantastic prospect, production, athleticism, all of it. I still think that I'm buying shares of a running back who could be an RB one in that offense. I mean, there's still some potential situations going on with the Ro- like with Rogers, but if he's still the quarterback there and something happen- happens to Aaron Jones, uh, Dylan is an absolute monster. Nick, can I tell you why I love moving on AJ Dylan right now? And I, and I agree with everything you said. Absolutely. Emotionally, emotionally, the AJ Dillon owners are crestfallen right now. They thought they were walking into the lead back for the Packers. And when Aaron Jones re-signed, their daubers went way down. And I loved, I, I loved taking those moments to strike. And I think it's a, I think he's a very good buy low candidate right now. Sure. Aaron Jones is a great back. He's a better back. Aaron Jones is great. But there is so much room for AJ Dillon to still perform well while Aaron Jones is there. That I I'm with you. I I think I think he's being underregarded, and I think emotionally that owner is ready to make a deal. Absolutely. Do you want to give us a wide receiver and tight end, and we'll keep moving? Yeah. Um, Brandon Ayuk's redraft ADP is sixty which is insane. That guy is really, really good. And of course, Trey Lance has the prospect of unlocking a deep downfield connection with him over a matter of time. And I always wonder why, I don't understand why why people are, are not regarding Brandon Ayuk better after what was a really successful season last year. Ayuk, I, you know, and he did it in a year where almost nothing went right with that whole team, right? And instead, here he was as a as a rookie, and he he walks into a 60 catch, 750 yard season in which he clearly got better as the season went on, and walks in now as an every down starter and gets teamed up with what could be a fantastic quarterback, and he's got the best offensive coach working for him. And the fact that that he's, I mean, ADP 60 in redraft is absurd. I, you know, I just think there's, I think people are way, way, way too soft on him. Charge, how much op-ed did you do before you joined this server? Ayuk is what do you mean my, op-ed? None. Ayuk is one of my absolute <laughs> favorite buys right now. He is. Is he? Yes. All right. He, I have been nice. banging the table for Ayuk since before the season was over. I think he, nice. if I remember correctly, the only wide receivers that had a better rookie season on PPR points per game are OBJ, Mike Evans, Michael Thomas, and Justin Jefferson. And that's like it Dang. in the last like eight years. It's or seven years. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And you know, if we and if we if we hone that down to his games played after week seven, 
dude, it was freaking money every week. I mean, actually, go back to week six. Touchdown in week six, 100-yard game in week seven, 91-yard game and a touchdown in week eight. He didn't play week nine. Week 10, touchdown. Week 11, didn't play. Then it's a touchdown, a 100-yard game, and a touchdown. That's his season. I mean, Brendan, I, I was, it was money. And I, I just think people don't realize how good he was. And you can't, you can't convince me that he's not in a fantastic landing spot right here. Absolutely. Um, and then do you have a tight end for us as well? Yep. Uh, Anthony Ferkster uh, going up the board is uh, tight end 21 right now. Uh, I loved Jonu Smith. Uh, I was so excited for one day when he went to the Patriots and he was going to be, you know, they pay all the money. And I'm like, oh, he's going to he's going to finally blow up. Anyway, uh, he's gone, obviously. Anthony Ferkster, who's left to catch a pass other than A.J. Brown in that offense? Nobody. And who's your new offensive coordinator? Todd Downing. What was Todd Downing's job last year? Tight ends. I think I think they were they let Janu Smith go because they feel strongly enough that Anthony Ferkster can walk in and be capable there. And he was last year after Janu rolled his ankle like week six. Ferkster was a was not like an every week starter, but he was spot starter worthy. And I think he's got enough experience that he's he's a guy you can is practically free right now. Um, so yeah, I like I really like I like Ferkster as a as a deep uh, as a deep deep sleeper yeah buying uh buying into firster and getting a back end tight end one for what is almost essentially free is absolutely mm-hmm. the kind of guys that you know you need to be looking at around this time that op- that offense too is so uh is so efficient with like the play action having what such a monster of uh derrick henry in the backfield like having a tight end having a tight end that can actually do a decent amount of pass catching absolutely an efficient offense to be in yeah right i mean it, you know and i just look at the other receivers they go okay well aj brown's an, a stone cold stud he's my number one ranked uh wide receiver redraft by the way and probably and probably in my number one dynasty wide receiver as well but after him it's josh reynolds nick westbrook ikinhe um mason kinsey rashard davis uh, yeah, it's, it is a Des Fitzpatrick, maybe it just, there's nobody to catch a pass. So I just think, you know, given his, his experience in the league, he's what three, I think this, this will be his fourth year. He was 18, 19, 20. This will be year four for Anthony Ferkster. This experience in the offense and familiarity for Todd Downing. I think he, I think he will be a back end tight end one. Yeah. I, uh, I, that absolutely is one of the most uh, shallow offenses in the league. We can say that without a doubt. Um, what mm-hmm. What are you looking to do if you own Devonte in any of your dynasty leagues? Like, how would you handle that? Well, situation? I'm not. Yeah, I'm not selling cheap. Um, and that's. I think that's the that anybody who's putting an offer out there right now is hoping I'm going to panic. At the end of the day. Um, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have a ton of leverage. He, he really doesn't. He'd have to give back money on his signing bonus if he leaves the team. Um, and I just, I think at the end of the day, he's more than likely still to end up being there. And and even if he doesn't, Devontae Adams is so good that unless it's like nothing but one hoppers from Jordan Love, I think I think Adams will be will still be able to produce. And more than likely, whoever. And whatever happens with the Packers, whenever they get back, so let's say they have to move on Aaron Rodgers. 
whatever they're going to get back is going to help them at the quarterback position. If it's draft picks that turn into a quarterback, great. If it's some other quarterback, fine. If it, you know, if let's say it's, let's say he goes to Vegas and it's Derek Carr in green Bay, I can win with Devont Derek Carr to Devonte Adams. That's an, that's a winnable hookup for sure. So I'm not, I'm not selling cheap on Devonte Adams. I don't like moving good players for cheap. So, and he, I mean, I, especially great players and he is obviously. Yeah. You just imagine how much Derek Carr uh, targets the, uh, the heck out of uh, Darren Waller. I can imagine how much he'd be doing that with Devonte Adams as well, especially considering they played in college together. Yeah, great point. I actually hadn't even I hadn't even remembered that off the top of my head. You're that's a that's a fantastic example. I'm gonna steal that going forward. Don't worry about <laughs> it. Go for it. You can you can take that all you want. I don't need any credit for that. Go for it. All right. No, it's not a royalty situation. <laughs> um, what uh, what are some edges that you think dynasty players can take from redraft players? Too many dynasty players are willing to lose this year to win two years from now. And um, we see it all the time. You know, your 2021 championship counts just as much as your 2023 championship. And if uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick can help get you there. Okay. That's, you know, that's all right. And I think um, I, you know, I think the live in the moment redraft guys um, have have a real have a, have a, a real advantage that way, and I think there I think so many of us as dynasty owners just get so drawn into well, and I I really I gotta I gotta I gotta play this you know I gotta play for 2025 and 2026, and I really like the way my team's gonna shape up in three or four years, and I I just think there's there's a lot to be said about just putting a great team on the field now and go win now, and there there. There's a quarter or a third of your league that's that's actively not even trying to win now. You can go win this year. So, you know, there's never an easier path to win this year than there are in dynasty leagues. And I think that's where that's where, re, where redraft players, um, I think, have the right mindset uh, is that is the win now mindset. Yeah, you definitely see some of those teams who uh, they want to win the paper championship in the offseason. And, you know, every year mm-hmm. it seems like they're perpetually they're perpetually looking for those young guns. They're looking to have the sexy rosters, but just like you said, you know, having the Ryan Fitzpatrick's or, you know, the unsexy veterans uh, on your roster, it's, yeah. it's about scoring points. Yeah. It's about to end this year, this year, and this year counts. Um, and yeah, so I, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. And by the way, funny how quickly players age out in dynasty in, in the perception right? The perception of an old player happens so fast in dynasty. You know, a guy gets to be like, you're three and we're already onto the new shiny thing. And it's just, I find it very funny that that's, that's how so many dynasty players work. And I fall into this trap too. I think we all do where you get so excited about the new crop of players that are coming up that a three and four year old, old, old player feels old. Michael Thomas is freaking ancient right now. Yeah, he's the. I think he's the perfect example of um, of people getting bored of someone doing well. Like I think it's him. Uh, Antonio Brown, when he was putting up his streak of like wide receiver ones, he was almost never like. Mm-hmm. There was a lot. Oftentimes, he was not the ADP wide receiver one, even though he kept finishing yeah. up there. It's people get bored of the same things of success. <laughs> they do. It's 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 really funny how that works. You just. 
we all want we all want the novelty of and we want the the novelty of the new player and we want to be the guy who was right about the young player who hasn't proven it yet absolutely absolutely do you uh do you have any dynasty moves that you regret that you can share with us well we've all made bad trades right um mm-hmm. and um i think the the biggest mistakes that i have made oh, well, i'm going to give you a, a couple one is misjudging if this is my year to put in all my chips and um i have traded away for the future to try to make that run and i've misevaluated my prospects and we are i think we're we're all guilty of falling in love with our own players we all like our own players more than anybody else likes our own players which is why we get so many bad trade offers and people think our trade offers are bad because we love our players um and uh, there have been, you know, there are a handful of times where you feel like, all right, I got to put it on my chips. I need one more running back and I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to give up next year's first rounder so I can get this older running back so that I think he can try to get me to the promised land. And I did this with Mark Ingram like three years ago. Um, and I, I gave up my first round pick, made the run and I got knocked out in the first round and I didn't have a first round pick and it bit me in the ass. And I think, I think that's probably happened to a lot of dynasty players where, you think you got you think this is your year you're willing to make you're willing to to sacrifice the future and maybe you're not right about that and you're not really that close so that's been one of the things and then the other thing that i have been guilty of nick and this is very specific to me i always put a premium on the longevity of non-running backs and i always feel like i can find run and it's the opposite most people feel the opposite of this i always feel like i can find running back help easier than I can get like a great wide receiver is going to be good for like 10 years, you know, you know, great quarterbacks and great tight ends are good for so long. And, um, and I've always been willing to sacrifice running back, but still at the end of the day, you still need really good running backs and you can only do so much on the waiver wire over an extended period of time. And I think that premise works better year to year and redraft than it does over a dynasty or in a dynasty format where you really want to have a good, back for a long time and the waiver wire is only gonna it, you know you might you can patch spots with the waiver wire but you usually can't find long-term solutions and i think it's hard to get that it's hard to get a dynasty team right for year after year if you don't have requisite running backs yeah i think that there is something to be said um one of the things that i preach to some of the guys on our server is um about trying to make sure you have enough roster space so that you can hold on to all of these handcuffs specifically in dynasty yeah. i mean like you got to play the the handcuff roulette because you could patch together mm-hmm. an rb2 or a flex spot using a bunch of these running these handcuffs that get opportunities because you know when they're about to start but that's like you're talking about you're not going to find a long-term starter like that you maybe find the rec the the most starts of the world you find at best yeah. you're looking at james robinson but he didn't Great. Even yeah that's his... your best case scenario yeah yeah so it's it's something you can find flexes from but let, you know what i mean that's one of those things where you can find support players but you're not going to find your like the main your rb1 from that but correct yep agreed agreed so we had some comments uh come in andy from rate my league uh he says i miss my old the old school fanball chaos auctions is there any place or anywhere to do those again now? They were so fun. It was um, it was speed auctioning where you auctioned on you you were actively auctioning on four players at once, 
and it was great. And it, those auctions, that, that thing was so much fun. Um, unfortunately, it's, uh, it's to the best of my knowledge, uh, it is not offered anymore, which is really a shame because that was a, that was a really, really fun game. The, the people who did it loved it. And we just, it just, we just didn't get enough in front of enough people. Unfortunately, I think. That's, that is unfortunate. It, it wasn't a format that I had tried before, but it sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it was super fast. So the way it worked is um, the short version of these speed auctions at Fanball was um, you would, you'd, you had a very, you had a small roster of all starters and you would pop, we'd pop up four random tight ends and you'd have to, you're, you're bidding like crazy against you know these other people. It was to try to, uh, actually, I think it was six tight ends. It was six people at once. And you're bidding on the, the six guys and trying to figure out how much I should bid on each one. It's live and it's happening. And then um, a guy would drop off. You know, once there was a final bid on somebody going once, going twice, he'd, he'd go away and here comes a new guy and here comes another player. And then guys just cycled in and out and in and out, in and out. And at any given time, it was just, pan- it was total pandemonium. I loved it. That sounds like a lot of fun. I, um, I'm a big proponent of like the slow auctions, but that would be a nice way to break out of like, out of, out of my shell and be able to, Really, I think that it would benefit people. It sounds like it would benefit people who can really get a good idea of what value looks like in the moment and be able to make snap judgments efficiently, which sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was all. It was a ton of fun. Uh, Needed more people to play it. Yeah. Uh, Could you give our listeners who may not be familiar with Empire an elevator pitch on why they should be playing the format? Empire League's the best way to play Dynasty. I'm convinced of it. So uh, you take a Dynasty League, and and here's here's the overriding part about any fantasy league that I don't love is who is the champion? In any league, you can tell me who won last year, but that's not the champion of the league. The way the Empire League works is at the end of the season, it's a Dynasty League, the end of the season the winner gets half the pot the other half of the pot rolls forward year after year waiting for somebody to win back to back and when that happens that is the true champion the emperor and he gets all the money from that season gets all of the the rolling empire pot and the league is over it disbands the league is done, and I love the notion that you are the winner. Not just last year's winner, you're the winner. And when you are the guy who won last year, to have 11 other people going for you, they all want to take you down, feels so good. It's so much fun knowing that you are hated and everybody wants you to lose, and sometimes you go win anyway. And it's the best feeling there is in Dynasty. We just got. We just finished our first year in my Empire League, and our group chat is literally named anybody but West, who is the was last year's champion. <laughs> the reigning champion. Yeah, that's great. I love it. Anybody but West, and that's how it feels. And now, and let me tell you, West is going to have an amazing season, and everybody else is going to be working to try to beat West. And in all probability, West won't win it two times in a row. What we're finding, having we invented this about eight years ago. And we're finding most leagues, it's something like year five to six or six to seven is about where it seems like somebody goes back to back the most often. 
Um, so it probably won't be Wes, but you know what? It's going to be awfully fun taking him down in the meantime. Yep. I, uh, during the draft, a bunch of our uh, owners were thinking about, oh, you know, I got to I got to draft a team that can compete immediately because what if it gets taken down by year two? Here I am going in with a productive struggle where I'm planning on competing uh, the second year because what are the chances? Like most people do not take down a league back to back years to start out. And I think that right. personally, I think that there is absolutely an avenue to exploit people having short term thinking because of the format. Now you have to be careful because that obviously can bite you, but there is some room for exploitation there, in my opinion. Yeah, there is. And and really, even if somebody were to go back to back, which is unlikely, as you said, you know, the pot's so low at that point. Ah, fine. You know, we'll just, you know, we'll fire up a new league in, in year three if it really goes that way. So I do like more of the long-term approach in the in the Empire League. Really, you're kind of gunning to win that thing like you're four and five so that the pot has had some time to build and you can you can you can cash that out and it, so if you're in a league with a hundred dollar pot and somebody wins it in years five to six in a 12 team league that is a four thousand dollar empire pot and you win that that year's that that year's money to bring this thing to five thousand dollars i mean it's you know at that point that's real money so that's um that's another one of the things that I, you know, that, that I love is trying to, you know, angle it so that, you know, I can try to try to hit it just right and try to get that empire pot. We had a question coming in on the chat. Uh, Charge, how would you handle booting bad league members in an empire league? Uh, even with his league's uh, unanimous league vote, uh, it's complicated by the progressive pot that he's invested in. It is. Um, and I, I, I like the fact that this person's already thought about um, the fact that there was a unanimous league vote. That tells me this person's done some kind of serious wrongdoing and your league rules are very important in an empire league. You know, we have in our rules, things like what if somebody dies and I'm also older than you guys, you know, what if somebody (laughs) dies and you know, what do we do with, you know, that guy's paid in for five years, you know, at, you know, who's got, who's got the rights to that money and you know, what do we do? Um, So encourage you to tighten up the league rules, but I, I like what, what this person is saying if you are the wrong side of a unanimous league vote, you're out. Too bad. I'll see you in small claims court if you're really going to do that. Because, you know, you've done something so wrong that the entire league has turned against you. That's, um, you know, you're, whatever you've done is, is that bad. I can't get 12 people to agree the sky is blue, but I can get an entire league to say you've done something so wrong that you have to leave the league. You're out. Yep. Yeah, I think that a uh, when everyone can agree on something that's generally not a good sign because i uh, you know mm-hmm. anyone who's commissioned a league can say can attest to how difficult it is to get everyone to agree on it literally anything um yes right. <laughs> you know try changing try changing your scoring system and tell me how that goes you're gonna get unanimous league vote for that hell no i would throw out speaking of this uh because of so one of the things that I pushed for in our Empire League, because it is so difficult to change formats, to change anything, it's this is literally still a one QB league, is that I pushed for a uh, ability for the champion to insert a rule. Now that could be something along the lines of, we're going to do our rookie draft before the NFL draft. We're going to do an auction. We're going to do two tight end. We're going to, you know what I mean? Whatever this ends up being, um, I, we ended up implementing this because it means that 
the champion can then set, here's what the new challenge is for everyone. And it keeps the lead progressing. It's That's one of the beautiful things about this as well. I mean, Superflex wasn't really even that common four or five years ago. Now it's yeah. basically the default format for Dynasty. And it's important to make sure that your leagues continue to evolve in that manner. So... Yeah. By the way, I think I think I wouldn't do this in an in an empire league, but I love the idea that every le- every year you have it, you tack on a new rule. So you start with a very basic and generic set of rules, and then every year the winner gets to add some some quirk to the league, and the winner will probably do something that, in the short term, seems to help himself or herself, but in the long term, you know, maybe not. I think it's I think it's really fun. I love that. Man, I, it'd be hard to find 11 people that are willing to do that, right? Well, for this, it's it's um, only for if the, you take down the Empire League. So it's oh, when, okay. it's when you, you have restart. to win the Empire League. Yep. Ah, it's on a restart. Okay, now I'm with you. So imagine it in just like a in imagine it in either a redraft or just a regular Dynasty League. If everybody knows going in that we're changing the rules every year. Yeah. And you just got it. You just have to adapt. <laughs> that would be interesting. I think you'd have to you'd have to have the right people, the right players that are that are willing to roll with that. I should talk to John Bosch about this. I feel like something like a Jumanji league or something where literally you have to stay flexible. Or like if the scoring is tied to the Scott Fishbowl or something. Something like that that yeah. really throws people for a loop would be fun. Yeah, it would be fun. And you don't, you know, the Scott Fishbowl example, you don't know what's coming. Mm-hmm. You know, all of a sudden he goes, yeah, you know, this year we're doing uh triple tight end uh, scoring. You know, oh God. All right. Well, that changes everything, yep. but you didn't, you know, but you couldn't, you couldn't prep for it and nobody's got a vested interest in it. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. Um, So follow up for some of the empire stuff. We, I'm curious if you could speak to um, how, how, or strategies to keep rebuilding teams invested in continuing to fight for the current yeah. year's rollover. So the, the beauty of the Empire League is because everybody's already thrown in so much money into that pot, they won't walk away and they keep trying. So they keep, you know, because they because they've got this big financial stake in it, nobody leaves and everybody's trying all the time. I've just I've 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 never seen a le- leagues like this. Um and even the tank, you know, even the guys that are that are rebuilding and stuff. They, there's the impetus to try to rebuild isn't as high because and the tank isn't as high because somebody might go win the pot while you're while you're rebuilding. So um, I think from an overall competitiveness standpoint, the Empire League uh, has much more of it uh, for those reasons. People won't walk away. They won't abandon their team and they try harder and they're less likely to tank. That makes sense. Uh, shifting gears a little bit. Um, do you know if there's any ETA or any plans to support uh, European or other continents for League Safe? Well, um, the hard part about that is uh, international money uh, has you know all kinds of complications with getting international money in and out of the U.S. And so it's really really hard. And none of our none of the electronified systems that um, that really anybody uses are are really built for that. So I, you know, while I can't tell you for sure, and I'm not running League Safe anymore, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen imminent, Im, imminently, unfortunately. Um, and I, I wish it could. There's a lot of we we hear from like expats and military guys and people that are, you know, people that are overseas. You know, we're in a 12 team league, and we got one guy who's in Germany, stationed in Germany, and 
you know, we want to use it, but that one guy is stationed in Germany and we want, we'd love to support that, but you just can't just send money to Germany. It just isn't that easy, unfortunately. And we can't even, you can't even always take, just like take a credit card from Germany. Even that's, even that is a whole different set of credit card processing hurdles that you have to go through. So I, you know, I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. Again, it's not, you know, it's, it's not my baby anymore, but I, I think, but I will tell you it's, it's a lot more complicated than people realize. Okay. Yeah. I appreciate some of that context. Um, can you give us, so similar to the empire format that we were just discussing, could you give us kind of an elevator pitch on guillotine leagues? So guillotine leagues are a fascinating, I think fascinating new way to play uh, redraft. Here's how it works. No head to head. You start the league with, you start the season with 18 players. That's one for every week of the season. And at the end of every week, Nick, that week's low scoring team gets cut from the league and all their players go to the waiver wire. So imagine the pandemonium on the waiver wire when an entire draft of players hits the waiver wire. And then think about the strategy. You start, you've got a, th- you got a thousand, you got a thousand units to spend over the course of the season. And here comes Tyreek Hill in week one. You know, he, he had a bad game. The other player, you know, these other, other players on my team had a bad week one. Here comes Tyreek Hill on the waiver wire. How much your 1,000 you put in knowing you could start Tyreek Hill for the rest of the year? Or do you save it knowing that next week it could be Calvin Ridley amongst others that could be hitting the waiver wire? And it's, it's fascinating strategy as you try to figure out you know, when to bid for all of these great free agents that are hitting in addition to all the regular free agents um, that are hitting and, and how much to bid and when to bid it. And let me tell you the anxiety of getting chopped in the guillotine league is like nothing else you've ever had because your season's over. It's it. And you know, you've been, you've been battling for like, you know, 12 weeks and now you've got this killer roster because you've added Terry McLaurin and Tyler Lockett and Ezekiel Elliott and Joe Mixon to your roster, right? It's you got this killer freaking roster and it comes down to Monday night football and you need Noah Fant to have six catches for 80 yards or you're going to get chopped and you're going to lose all those players and be knocked out of the league. It is, the anxiety is crazy. So much fun, so much strategy. That's the guillotine league. That sounds like an absolute ton of fun. It's it's this, so much fun. It sounds like almost playoffs the entire season, basically. Yeah, it is. It is. It's like playoffs the whole season because it's one, you know, one loss and you're done. But, you know, you start with 18 teams. So, you're, you know, your chance of losing is 4% in week one out of when there's 18 teams. But every week there's one less team. So, you know, your 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 margin is it gets slivered away every single week. Um, yeah. So that in that regard, it is like playoff. But the whole the whole roster's hitting the waiver wire thing is just bonkers. It's so much fun. Absolutely, I would I would think that there's a lot of strategy there on th- thinking about when to bid, how much to save, especially considering like when you think about it initially, you're thinking, okay, if I pick up if I spend a ton and get Tyree Kill right now, I could start him the whole season. But then you also have to weigh, will I get another shot at him if the team who does pick him up? That's right. Later, and you correct. Have, yeah. Which, go ahead. Yep. And you know, uh, you you raise a great point. I shouldn't have jumped in. I should have let you finish. I'm sorry. Christian McCaffrey last year. So the guy who drafts, you know, guy Christian McCaffrey hits the waiver wire week 
two. There was a, yeah, week two because week one you know, or week three, something like that. When you know he gets he got hurt in week one, but he had a good game, so that guy was safe. But then he kept coming back to the waiver wire, and people kept throwing down like five hundred or their one thousand on him, thinking he was going to come back. And he wouldn't come back, and he wouldn't come back. Then he came back, and then he got hurt again. And he just kept recycling through, and people kept spending $500, $500, $500 on Christian McCaffrey all season long. And so there is some there is some danger even to those big-name guys, especially if there's an injury involved. And that's part of the learning process of the guillotine league is, you know, how to evaluate injuries into your, your bidding because it's, it's super dangerous with, uh, with an injury that's anything other than short-term. Uh, do you, is that, if you had to highlight one catch in the format, would that be kind of the catch you would highlight? When you say catch, what do you mean? As in, almost like a strategic point that, I guess, let me rephrase that a little bit. Um, if you had to think about what's one thing that, you know, you've played, so you've, uh, you came up with this format or, you know, you've been playing for maybe a season, a couple seasons, what exactly is something that like you didn't really pick up until recently, like after a couple seasons of playing, yeah, being seasoned right, at this right. format? Like, what's like something like a lesson it took you a while to learn? The early bye weeks are devastating. You know, when there's 18 teams, your roster's super thin. So, what does Dalvin Cook mean to your really thin roster? A ton. And if he's got a week four bye, you're in real trouble. Because you, know, you haven't had time to get adequate depth to replace Dalvin Cook with anybody who does not suck. And so those early bye weeks, I did not, I did not pay close enough attention to how devastating those are. And I actively I'm I'm looking for guys with the week 10, the week 11, the week 12, the week 13 buys. By then I've got the depth on my roster so that I can survive their buys. But those are so dangerous. The good, the good players, your first three, four rounds players, I do not want early bye weeks. That makes a lot of sense. I feel like I might have caught one of the – by the way, I'm going to give you a minute to, to talk about this a little bit more in a second. But I feel like I might have caught on the chat podcast at some point that um, you guys were considering being more um, – conservative with bidding recommendations as well is that correct yeah yeah we have a podcast devoted just to get the guillotine league format and much of the podcast is okay we know that um aaron jones was among the top 10 cut players so i know for a lot of you he's on the waiver wire this week here's what we think you should bid on aaron jones and we're going to be more conservative early because if you're alive in like week 13 the teams that are getting cut in week 13 are just juggernauts and you have to be able to participate in the bidding for those guys. And if you're tapped out of money in, in, you know, week 11, week 12, week 13, you're at a huge disadvantage. You just have to have some money left over later in the season. Uh, so that's going to, I, that is one of the things that we're going to change up and it's, it's going to be hard. And the, the seasoned guillotine league players, I think are going to do this right. And the new players and so many of the people that are coming in fresh or new, uh, new players with this, they're not going to know. And when they just see Alvin Kamara waiver, oh my God, that's like $800. I just, I got to go get them. And those uh, more often than not, that's going to be a mistake. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, let's see. Yeah. We have a couple of comments in the chat, just talking about how we're probably going to try and get some, some guillotine leagues going here soon. I saw, um, I don't remember if it was, 
either it might have been Scott Fish or it was John Bosch. Someone created a guillotine vampire format, which I thought sounded like a crazy amount of fun. Uh, did you get a chance to see that? Like, have, what's the craziest? Well, format? I didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Vampire League to me is great for the vampire, and I think it kind of sucks for the other eleven people. And that you know, it's my only. I love I love unique plays to play, and I totally. I, you want you want to go vampire? Do it. I just think it's very special for one team, and it's very ordinary for eleven teams, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. So it's my only gripe with the Vampire League. How does so how does this hybrid uh, dynasty or sorry uh, guillotine vampire work? I think it was basically. It's basically a guillotine league, except when there uh, was matchups and you got to steal one uh, player from the team that you beat, and mm-hmm. uh, but that didn't that didn't affect the uh, dropped players. So the lowest team still got dropped uh, or got chopped out of the league, but then you still you yeah. also got to steal one player from the team you were facing. I kind of like it. I kind of like it. You know, it's uh, it'd be a different it'd be a different format. You know, where I think it would be really fun and leave and I I will overcomplicate things if you let me. Go for it. Vampire picks a target every week. Nobody knows who the target is in advance until Sunday at kickoff. And now you've now everybody knows who the target is. And if that target goes down, um, vampire gets you know gets like a player and the rest scatter to the uh, to the waiver wire that might be the hybrid i would endorse i don't know i i like there being sort of an air of mystery about about who's getting who the who the vampire is targeting as he's you know walking through the 1920s village in transylvania trying to find blood i think there's some kind of you know which villager he's going to attack i think there's a little something to that Ooh, i would enjoy that would you always keep the same vampire? Or would you rotate the vampire each week? Well, I mean, see, but you know, I understand the the normal vampire way that doesn't rotate around, but I I, I like the idea of it rotating around. That so makes sense. I don't know. I mean, maybe if you if you saw about this, I've tried to work this out before, Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a there is a board game called Werewolf, which is not. I know Werewolf sounds a lot like vampire. In Werewolf, you don't know anybody else's roles in the the board game Werewolf. Um, there are werewolves and there's other people around the village that do different things, but you don't know who the werewolf is. And I think that's the part of the, 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 what I want to do with the vampire is not know who the vampire is and find a way to have like the vamp. If the vampire beats somebody, they're on the vampire's team now. And the vampire, you know, the vampire group is growing. The villagers are diminishing. There's gotta be a way to do that. I think you could have a ton of fun with that, that idea. I absolutely think so too. Speaking of uh, board games, we actually did get some board game questions uh, from Adam Steelers. Yeah, now we're talking, baby. Now <laughs> something I know about. What, uh, what board uh, What board games or video games are you playing right now? Um, there's a really fun party game called Secret Hitler. You familiar with this? Yep, I've played that. You have. I love Secret Hitler. It's a ton of fun. Uh, the premise, it, well, maybe you should say, Nick. I've done a lot of talking. Tell people, since you know it, tell people how Secret Hitler works. Oh, thank you, Paul. Uh, basically secret Hitler is I've only, so I've only played it a few times, uh, but basically they, you hand out cards, obviously secretly. Um, and then what you're trying to do essentially is, uh, either if you are, um, I guess I don't remember if it's like, we're part of the, if you were part of the Republic or if you were a, like a Democrat, you were trying to eliminate fascists 
and if you were a fascist, you were trying to pass um, fascist policies. If you get a certain amount, if you either get a certain amount of um, fascist policies passed, or you elect Hitler chancellor, there's a couple of conditions to win like that. Um, but I think, given you are a host of, uh, or given that you probably play quite a bit more board games than I do, I did I get kind of get all the details right there, Paul? Yeah, no, you, you did a good job with it. Yeah, you know, it's um, you, it's a game played with like eight to ten people, which is you know a little bit different. And half of the group are fascists, half of them are liberals. The fascists are trying to, and one of the fascists is Hitler, and the fascists are trying to protect Hitler's identity and get him to office. And the liberals are trying to sniff out who is Hitler and go get uh, and identify him and ultimately shoot him and kill him. And so that's um, that's a really fun game. There's a great game called Dixit, D-I-X-I-T. It sold like five million copies. It's an artwork based game, which is perfect for people who aren't necessarily like strategic thinkers. And it's it's um, it's one of these games that anybody can play at any age. And it is it's a ton of fun. And it you wouldn't think that you could build a game around just cards with artwork on the cards, but you can, and Dixit did it, and it's it's great. You can get Dixit everywhere, um, and that's a really good game. There's a game called Patchwork, which is basically Tetris in a board game for two players, and Patchwork is super fun. I really, I really enjoy Patchwork, and you don't have to be a hardcore gamer at all to appreciate, uh, appreciate uh, Patchwork. And then the last board game I'll mention, Pandemic, is one of the best-selling board games of all time. Uh, players span the globe in an attempt to eradicate four killer pathogens, and it's a cooperative game. And one of the great things that's happened in, in board gaming, Nick, is in the last 10 years, cooperative gaming has has, has become a huge part of many, many games. And you know, what it's really done is it's made these board games playable for everybody because a traditional board game, usually the guy who's who just happens to think more strategically or is just plain smarter or is more cutthroat ends up winning most of the time. And the rest, anybody else who's playing just doesn't really have a chance. But when you play cooperatively and you're all working together, then um, everybody gets to have a shared victory. And that smart person gets to, you know, work to the advantage of everybody. And so I love cooperative games and Pandemic is one of the best ever made. That's awesome. I. So I haven't actually gotten a chance to play Pandemic yet, but from if I remember correctly, isn't it also it, can it be somewhat difficult to win? You know, I would say the first game or two maybe, and then you sort of pick up on it and you start figuring things out a little better. And it does Pandemic does an amazing job of having it come down to like the last turn where we have to get it just right, or we're the you know the the, the world's going to get covered in in pathogens, and it, it does. It does a great job of having it just sort of come down to the last moment pandemic does. And I, I, I love that part. Oh, that's awesome. I'm, I'm going to yeah. throw out one other game as well. Um, oh, good. Please. It, it's a, uh, I've been playing it with my aunts and uncles from Utah. So it's there. It's a game out of Salt Lake called Totally Insane Card Game. And it's like a mix. Okay, I've never of, heard of it. Yeah, it's like a mix of Uno, Go Fish, um, just a whole bunch of different like games like thrown into one. And it ends up being just this amalgamation, this ridiculous amalgamation of all these like weird strategies, but it's, it's, it's totally a ton of fun. Um, you should absolutely look into it. I would, you know, 10 out of 10 would recommend. All right. Um, I just pulled up the website. looks good. It's been around for a long time. Copyright 1993. That's ancient in the board game card game world. 
It is old. Um, yeah, and that's the fact that it's still around is a good sign. So, uh, one other thing I was curious about, uh, Charge, is how did you guys get started with Video Games Weekly? So, um, are you familiar with Game Informer Magazine? Uh, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, uh, Game Informer Magazine is one of the 10 widest circulated monthly magazines in America, and it happens to be headquartered in my hometown, Minneapolis. And I, over the course of time, got to be friends with many of the people that work at Game Informer. And eventually, I went to my uh, radio station manager and said, all right, other than sports, which we normally talk all the time, what is the second, the second thing that you think our listeners have in common? Video games. So we started a video game radio show 12, 13, 14 years ago. And every Tuesday night, we, we talk video games. We talk about what's coming out this week, what's you know, new and hot in video games. And, um, and when we first started, like again, 12, 14 years ago, all the, you know, the feedback was always like, nerds, you get off the air. You know, we're gonna go do our sports and drink some beers and stuff like that. And you know, get off the air, you nerds. And now it's, we could just do full phone lines the whole show. I don't even have to prep. You know, people just call in. They just love talking about the experience they're having in, in their, um, in, with the video games. And, you know, people feel passionate about it and they're a ton of fun. So, yeah, that's, and, and the, the beauty of doing this, Nick, I don't have to be the expert. My co-host works at Game Informer. I just get to be the guy who likes video games. I don't have to know the answer to anything. And that's refreshing compared to the, uh, you know, compared to fantasy football. Yeah, I'm a little jealous of your position, actually. That would be an, a ton of fun just to be, a, to, well, I shouldn't say just, but that would be a ton of fun to be able to get on air and, you know, discuss with uh, with your co-hosts and, like, just have, you know, an honest, in-depth discussion about, you know, ultimately a medium that I think uh, is almost, it's underrated in the sense of, like, what it means to the people who you, who play it, who who, you know, who enjoy that medium. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's so much to talk about. It is in some ways, it, it's a little bit like fantasy in that and the NFL in that there's always something cool and interesting happening. And it's it's forever changing. And the landscape's always changing. And there's always something new. You know, if I had to do if it was backgammon, I could not do 12 years of backgammon. There's not enough new things to talk about. No, that makes sense. Um, so I was telling my significant other that I got to interview you and her one question that she wanted me to ask you is if you could say one nice thing about the Packers. Um, <laughs> Packer fans or the Packer fa or the, the Packers as an organization? The organization. Well, okay. How about this? I think, I think it was very bold that they decided to leave the sinks in at Lambeau, even after everybody keeps using them as a urinal. <laughs> Perfect. Um, we're just going to, I'm going to leave that one there. I think <laughs> um, on that note, exactly. Um, so we had a couple questions. Who's your favorite Vikings player and then, or of all time. And then your favorite non Vikings player. Um, Adrian Peterson's my favorite Viking of all time. Um, I loved being a Viking fan through his tenure here because anytime the ball was in his hands, something special could happen. And, 
you know, we've had, we had Randy Moss here who would probably be my second choice. And in, in both cases, you just, you felt like you couldn't look away when they got the ball in their hands and um, just such special talents. And, you know, for Adrian, um, and I, because of what I do at KFAN, I was able to meet both of them um, fairly often. And um, they, Adrian especially was a very, very nice guy, which made it that much easier to root for him. And um, yeah, so I, I think Adrian was my, was my favorite guy. And I just, I, just, I just loved watching him play the way he played, the fact that he punished somebody on his way out of bounds every single time. He just, dude only had one gear and it was to run hard and run dudes over. And I, I, I just, I loved that about Adrian. And the fact that he's still quasi-relevant today it is staggering, really. I mean, I, you know, I just, I, I hope that he, I hope that he continues to keep, keep playing and that he ends up having a Frank Gore-like, you know, run of his own where, you know, even if he's not great anymore and he's not, um, you know, he's good enough to stay on rosters. And I, I, I love that about his career. Yeah, I think that's something that people really underrate, though, is how is the staying power of the uh, of the greats. I I remember growing up and watching uh, Terrell Owens play, and thinking mm-hmm. that he was he had to have been you know normal age when he was in Dallas. But little did I realize, you know, when I got older, realizing that he's in his was in his low to mid thirties in Dallas, and it seemed like right. he was still yeah. such a high end receiver at that age, but. It's. Mm-hmm. I, I think people would really be more shocked at how old. I shouldn't say that, but like how late into his career Adrian has been able to play. If we didn't just have Franco right before him. Yeah, I know, right? Franco kind of ruins it, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> it is, that's nuts. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, his his career is 14 years now for running back. Franco is 16. 14 years is a long time, and we forget for Adrian, he led the NFL in rushing yards three different times. And they weren't back to back to back. It spanned nine years. Sorry, eight years. I mean, that's nuts. To, you know, in a span of eight, if we're running back into a span of eight years to have three different rushing titles, and in his epic 2,000-yard rushing season, Adrian Peterson's average game was 131 rushing yards. Average game. That's just crazy absolute bonkers and to think about wasn't that season right after he had torn his acl the year before yes yes he had torn the acl the year before did not finish the season and we all assumed and he started that year slowly it was a it was a long it was a long run up for him before he was really at full speed this is 20 this is 2012 um his first few games of that year remember he averaged 131 but his first three games were 84, 60, and 86 yards. And then he had a 100-yard game. Then he had an 88-yard game and a 79-yard game. So the rest of the way from week seven forward, it was in just sheer insanity what he was doing. In fact, let me tell you what he did, what Adrian did in that 2,000-yard season. Just from week seven forward, his average game was 160 rushing yards. That's absolutely insane. Was that the, did they play Cleveland that year to start? Was that the year that he uh, absolutely murdered no. someone? Okay. He did murder somebody that I think was a week one of a different season, but he, um, he punished, he punished some linebacker. He lowered his head 
into the body of some hapless linebacker and in the middle of the field and just and then stepped on him. He knocked him down and then stepped on him as he ran down the sideline. And then as he's going down the sideline, some guy's trying to tackle him and he grabs the guy and just throws him away like he was trash. It, insane run. One of the one of my favorite Adrian Peterson runs, one of my favorite runs in the history of the NFL was that play against the Browns. And by the way, that was week three of 20, uh, 2013. Okay. I was a year off. I, nice I, job. It's close. I am admittedly, I am a Vikings fan, but I'm embarrassed to be a little bit off on that one. I'd have to say uh, you don't have to be <laughs> fair. I, I still will never forget the, uh, the Thanksgiving Thanksgiving Day game that Moss pulled down three catches and three touchdowns. Another one came back on penalty. That's that was right. uh, that game was nuts. Yeah, that was so much fun. I always remember that Thanksgiving Day game. So you're a Vikings fan. Who is your favorite Viking of all time? I'm gonna have to go with Randy Moss. It's straight cash, homie. Yeah, so good. I um, yeah. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I. You know, I can't. I still can't help thinking about the uh, what would have been if Dante Culpepper had just played like ten years later, because his uh, his knee injury where he basically blew out his ACL, MCL, PCL. I mean, that was bad, and that was really bad for the time. But I really feel mm-hmm. like medical science is better now, and the way that he played the game as you know this mobile, athletic just massive man just impossible to bring down would have fit so yeah. much better in today's game than it did then yeah I, I think it probably would have and, and Dante Culpepper in a different in a different world where he doesn't suffer the debilitating three different way and knee injury would have you know would have had a great career and it's really sad that it got cut short yeah um so we we uh, some of our users saw that you had some crypto related tweets on your timeline. Do you have any specific coins or projects that you're passionate about? Um, I'm fascinated by something called Zed Run, and Zed Run is not a cryptocurrency exactly. It's a digital horse racing platform. So what happens is you buy a digital horse and then you race it whenever you want. And so the work you know you can race the horse twice in a day if you want to. You have to pay an entry fee to get it to run. But you can breed your horse, and people can buy your offspring. It's fascinating. And unlike buying into a traditional horse where you have to pay the trainer, the vet bills, the food bills, um, and then it uh, can't run because it's got a, you know, it's got an injured leg or whatever. You know, it's a digital horse. It's another, you know, it can it can run whatever you want it to run. And I'm fascinated by this digital horse racing concept. And I'm curious about where it could go to other sports as well. But yeah, it's called Zed Run, and I'm 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 paying attention to that. Not exactly cryptocurrency; it's more just an NFT. But I'm I'm really um, I'm really fascinated by that conceptually uh, about owning a horse that might be good. You're buying you when you buy your horse, you're buying it off of a bloodline, and so you can go like, all right, I'm going to pay a little extra to get this good bloodline, and hope I get a good horse. And then you run it, and you find out what you got, and you might win some money. That sounds super interesting. Yeah, I mean NFTs, it's it's might not be crypto, but it's certainly tangential to that space. I, mm-hmm. it looks like Adam checked in, in. It might be temporarily closed, which is unfortunate, but that sounds super interesting. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating. So 
yeah, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I, I want to do this. And you, they only, they have, they have like, um, like the uh, digital sports cards. They, they all come out like a glut of when you can go, you know, when you can buy horses. So, and, and it's, it's basically like a race to try to get them all. So I got to, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to, uh, how I can actually even get a horse if I want to. So, yeah. I'm sure that makes a lot of sense. I will have to keep an eye on it and I'll, uh, I'll shoot you an email if I, if I see that they're available again. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Zed run. So that's what I'm tracking. Cool. Uh, are you one of our users, solar S, uh, that he's seen some leagues who donate 10% of their dues to charity each year. Would you have a, which charity would you choose if you had a choice in your leagues donating to charity? Um, just philosophically, I like, um, I like charities that orient towards kids. I think kids have a, have are you didn't ask to be brought into this world. You have a bad situation that has been thrust upon you and there's time to fix it because you're not, your clay is still being molded and philosophically, I like to try to do things that help kids. Um, I think there's, I think there's a point at which, unfortunately, for many adults, you just kind of are who you are. And, it, it, you know, at that point, it might just be, you know, I think it's a lot harder to change stripes then. But I think you can save a kid in a way that you can't save an adult. And they haven't done this to themselves. More often than not, they're in a bad situation because of their parents and or and or lack of parents. So for me, um, I'm not going to give a specific answer. I mean, other than Scott Fishbowl, which is another child, you know, a kids based and kids oriented um, charity. Um, but I like those. Those are the ones that appeal to me. That makes sense. It's a very future, uh, a very um, future oriented uh, strategy. I, I had a thought process. And I really like that. Um, Thank you. What uh, what takes have you made on Twitter this offseason that you feel like you've gotten the most pushback for? Say it one more time. Uh, what takes have you had on Twitter that you this offseason that you feel like you've gotten the most pushback from fans? Were you able to catch that charge? Yeah, I get I get push I get pushbacks from fans all the time on stuff. <laughs> Man, I can't say anything without getting like. 29 people back in my face about, you know, just about anything that I say. Um, but, and I know you're looking for a fantasy co topic in particular, and I don't know that I'm going to give you one off the top of my head. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be fantasy. I think this, we kind of moved into somewhat of more of the uh, off other stuff. All right, good. I, which I kind of like, by the way. Um, hmm. I don't have a quick answer for that off the top of my head. I don't know, but broadly almost like anything that i do ends up you end up getting pushed back on and you just have to learn to let it go unfortunately i think that's fair i do enjoy the uh i do enjoy the bits once in a while about tweeting about the kirk cousins pushback that's oh i think well, that might God, be one of my geez. favorite oh yeah why didn't i go right there you're setting me up for the kirk cousins thing because i believe kirk cousins is a capable good quarterback so many people don't and that's ridiculous. And I, you know, the Viking fans, they, we've had it so bad for so long, a quarterback, and we finally get a good quarterback who plays 16 games in a season. And all, all our fan base can do is bitch and moan about it, which is absurd, absurd that they're this way here in Minnesota. 
Uh, by the way, tip of the hat to uh, uh, Tony, Adam Steeler's fan, for the William Gay gif that's um, that's uh, running in this uh, this channel right now. That was an awesome, awesome, devastating. Like, he just destroyed, Adrian Peterson destroying William Gay is one of the, I, I'll never get tired of seeing that. Yeah, he was uh, quick in the draw on that gift for sure. Yeah, well, well done. Um, let's see. I had, oh, uh, yeah, I think that, uh, how did you, so this is actually something I wanted to ask you about. Uh, how did you feel about the rumors coming out that the Vikings were trying to trade up to get up for Justin Fields only to get beaten out by the uh, Bears for him? A, I believe it's true. B, I think they, um, I think they just loved Fields and they loved the the fact that they wouldn't have to start him right away and felt that just from a just an athletic standpoint that they could mold him for one or two years and I thought that would be fantastic um, for Fields. That's I mean to me it's a best case scenario and it's why I know nobody believes Andy Dalton's going to like start any games and and it could be that the Bears and their front office and their coaching staff are so desperate that he will start very early, but the best thing Chicago could do is to just let the kid learn. And I do think he's, I do think he's pretty raw, but the bears have the hardest schedule in the NFL uh, by strength of schedule from last year, which only means so much. And I think they're going to lose a bunch of their early games and it'll be Justin Fields time, you know, early sooner than later than which again might not be best for him, but I think it's going to happen. Bears go Ram at Rams. That's a loss. Bengals, that's a win. Then they go at Cleveland. That's a, that's a loss. I think Cleveland's going to be great. That's a loss. So, I don't know. They could lose two of their first three, and then here comes Justin Fields against Detroit as a confidence booster. Yep. Yeah, I absolutely could see that as well. It's. Uh, I was very frustrated during the draft to see one of my favorite players coming in this year go to a division opponent, which is just just unfortunate. Uh, I saw recently uh, someone was someone released a study showing the it was like a um, a four point plotted graph that was mm-hmm. like one on uh, the I think it was the X scale was like uh, m- more travel over average or less travel over average and then it was like more rest mm-hmm. days or less rest days over average and just yeah all of the NFC North was just all in the bottom left corner like with more with extra travel and less rest and it's like well crud so yeah i know yeah we're all yep we're all gonna get a tough schedule this year but uh is there church it looks like we're out of the pre-prepared questions is there anything else that you wish you would have we would have asked you about or anything that you uh any bits you want to talk about well you know we could do a whole separate podcast on whiskey but (laughs) You know, we'll do maybe we'll do that another time. You are welcome back to talk whiskey anytime you want. I know uh, we have a couple guys in here that enjoy a good whiskey and could have a conversation and do a full podcast about it. If you are interested, I think we may be interested in having that as well. <laughs> all right. I, I like the sound of that. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I think we finally have found something we can all agree on whiskey. And <laughs> we need to drink. <laughs> Perfect. Um, do you want to go ahead right, and. Th- oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, do you want to pimp your uh, your shows? Talk about like all of the projects that you're working on one more time. 
just kind of recap that and maybe see if well we yeah it's it's a lot of stuff but fantasy football weekly is the most salient here um you know we're in off season mode but we, we're we're out every friday during the off season and um all kinds of different stuff and much of it this time of year is dynasty related because uh that's you know that's that's particularly salient now and especially after the draft so there's that and then um we've got uh the video games weekly podcast for those that like video games the chopped podcast for guillotine leagues and you can follow me on twitter at paul charchian how's that that's perfect i think also uh, yeah. i want to mention it as well the uh, best place to play guillotine leagues is guillotineleagues.com is about the only place so yeah that's uh that's the best place to go and everything everything a whole site that's devoted just to guillotine league so you know it's the thing we do and so we do it really well perfect all right church i really appreciate you joining us thank you so much and yeah and a ton of fun thanks for the hospitality yourself and everybody that's in the channel appreciate it absolutely all right thank you everyone okay bye bye